Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. book club where we read hood classics and good classics i'm derek uh today we are on chapter five of the coldest winter ever by sister soldier um in the last chapter uh winter's mom got shot in the face in winter really she cared as much as a 16-year-old can care about it, but really she was happy to have an opportunity to have a sleepover with uh, Midnight, who then took that opportunity to read her for filth about how much of a child she really is. Like, he didn't disrespect her. I don't think, like, you gotta, I gotta keep in mind that this is written like 99. So he didn't really disrespect her in the way that he was telling her that she's vapid and empty and doesn't read and doesn't do shit, but act like a kid, because she's a kid. I mean, if I tell my son he's acting like a kid, it's it's like, well, I'm a kid. What do you want me to do? I'm not going to, I can't grow up. Not yet. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, after three days of hanging out with Midnight and trying to have gel bait sex with him, which he uh, sidestepped literally by just ignoring her, um, he he truly does believe that she's just like, a nuisance like he looks at her like a little sister and um when she saw the picture she went through his wallet because she was pulling headphones out of his uh out of his backpack or something and they got caught on his wallet and so he she opened up the fold of his wallet and looked at pictures of his family and saw a picture of his uh mom and a picture of his sister and the sister looked like she was about 14 and um Midnight was like, yeah, she looks like she's his sister. She's too young to be his girlfriend. He probably treats his sister the same way he treats her. And she just doesn't see that because she doesn't want to believe that she can't get whatever she wants. Um, after three days, um, Midnight dropped her and her sisters back off to her home and her dad was telling her about how she needed to how they need to tighten up the organization all that and he was really it seemed like talking to her and drawing her closer into the business. And as soon as he showed her the car that he had bought for her mom. Uh, winter completely phased him out just stopped listening and started thinking about how much she was going to be stunting on folks and having them kiss her ass and suck her toes and all this other kind of stuff to ride in a Benz that's not even hers. But like I said, 16, y'all, it, it is what it is. Like when y'all were 16, I know when I was 16, I was completely, completely self-absorbed and just thought that I was just world wise, just, just world weary and just tired of everything. And eh, youth is wasted on the young sometimes. But here we are now. If y'all have um, any questions or concerns or anything, if you have any comments, feel free to uh, drop us a voicemail at 916-633-1537, or you can email us at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Uh, the Twitter uh, account is Ratchet Book Club. With that said, here's chapter five of The Coldest Winter Ever. When Mama was wheeled into the house the following week, it didn't matter that Santiago had coached us on how to act and what to say. By this time, he had told my younger sisters that Mama fell down and had a little accident where she cut her face. 
but no rehearsal could have prepared them for what they saw. Anyone who knew Mama could only be thinking one thing. Damn, who is that? She looks bad. Me and Magdalena tried to smile and make light of the situation, but that look of shock and horror that came over the kids' faces when they saw her couldn't be erased by any joke. Mama was thinner than usual. The area around her mouth was twisted and disfigured. She still had a piece of bandage covering a small part of her face. There was only one thing I was sure of. I would be driving the bends. Later that evening, while Santiago was out, I pushed my mother's door open and quietly walked in. What's up, Mama? How you feeling? She was responding, but her words were slurred. She sounded like an old wax record with a needle dragging on it. Okay, Mama, don't talk, I said, holding my hand up and smiling wide to make her feel comfortable. I got a lot to say. Just let me fill you in. Nordstrom's has the perfect all-leather red Adrian Vittadini suit for you. I even spotted some red driving gloves that go with it real nice. You hurry up and get better, because I know we gonna be cruising. She gave me a sigh, then a half smile. I knew that meant I was making her feel good. Hell, this was Mama. I knew what made her feel good. The housekeeper's here full time now. We've been taking care of everything. The girls miss you so much. They're real happy you're home. Oh, and Santiago? He's like a puppy without his woman. You gotta hurry up and get better because he needs you. Just then, with the mention of Santiago's name, one tear rolled out of Mama's left eye. Don't worry, Mama. If there's anything you need, I'll get it for you. We gonna get it together. I leaned over and gave her a kiss on her forehead and then whispered in her ear, We bad bitches, remember? Bad bitches don't die. Again, she cried instead of smiling. I tried to remain cool. Girl, Santiago's gonna get you the best of everything, no doubt. Your face is gonna look even better than it did before the accident. At Mama's gesture, I handed her the pen and pad from her night table. She scribbled a note to me, which read, Stay out of Brooklyn. Overcoming boredom was my new project in life. I had spoken with my girls from Brooklyn, but I ended those conversations as soon as the questions started flowing. Usually, the questions started flowing immediately. Of course, nothing but a Mack truck could stop Natalie's mouth from yapping. She volunteered the information that some serious shit had gone down around our way, and some peeps turned up missing which really meant nothing to me except nosy niggas around the way ain't see certain people for a while. But for all they know, niggas could be down south visiting relatives or some shit like that. The block is hot, was how Natalie put it, which meant that the 5-0 was everywhere. That shit didn't scare me because we always had plenty of cops around our way in Brooklyn. Sometimes they were on the scene of the crime and looked the other way because they had a piece of the action. The way I figured it, everybody had to have a hustle to survive. The cops wasn't no threat as long as their cut was in it. As Santiago said, You gotta know how to spread the cheese around the table. Natalie also filled me in on the up-and-coming cuties who were buzzing around the way and the goings-on. She had seen Midnight only once in passing. He didn't say shit to her. He never did, and according to Natalie, he just seemed to be keeping everything on the down-low. He hadn't been to the club, and Taja had been running around with Little Nickel. I wasn't going to tell her about the new bins, but it was taking all I had for me to keep it a secret. Then Natalie remembered that my birthday was next week, on Friday. She said she wanted to big me up on my birthday, take me out, get me some bubbly, and do our thing. The bonus was that slick kid, her man at the moment, was cool with Bullet. We could double date and live it up at their expense. Bullet? I asked. Little Bullet? Girl, get up on it. Little Bullet is Bullet now, and ain't nothing little about him. I thought about it for a second. I always thought Bullet was a little cutie. Swift on his feet, a fast talker, and definitely had the hustle in him. He was a small-timer, though. Not the type I'd ever consider to set up with or marry, but I could easily swing an episode with him. The puzzle was that I couldn't go to Brooklyn. I also couldn't mention that I wasn't allowed to go to Brooklyn. I had been stalling and lying to Natalie about why I wasn't coming around the way. Security at our house was at an all-time high. The Saturday night parties were dead. 
other than Magdalena, security, and the workers, we couldn't invite no house guests. Now I need to come up with a compromise, an alternative. This date was something I needed in order to connect with myself and my people. I really needed the attention. Mama had been hogging all of it lately. Santiago had been either having meetings in the den, out working the streets, or on the phone. Yeah, I'm down for a double date, I told Natalie. I'll call you back to set up the details, but let Bullet know I'm all in. Strategizing came easy to me. I got that from Daddy. I just laid the problem out like a chessboard and thought of different angles to come at it. The key was to be able to relax enough to see the whole situation in your head. If you got stressed out, Santiago taught me, then you started making mistakes, overlooking critical shit. Now, I wasn't a chess player myself, but everyday problems, I could decipher that shit. Thoughts were running through me like a high-speed train. Stressed out on my bed, I came up with a brilliant plan. I say it was brilliant because it wasn't just a simple everyday plan. It was one that took everything and everybody and every possibility into consideration. There was only one week left until my birthday. I started activating my plan that same afternoon. Mother was out of the confinement of her room and moving slowly throughout the house. Her mouth was still crooked and her face stiff and slightly swollen. She couldn't go outside because of the embarrassment of her appearance. She was waiting for some type of operation to put her face back in order, but it was still too soon. The doctor says she still had a few weeks of healing before her body could undergo another operation. I knew she was feeling bad. In fact, this was the first consideration of my plan. Mama, you're looking good today, I lied. I can see where you're healing. I touched the left side of her face with two fingers. Listen, let's go outside and head to the mall. She rolled her eyes at me. No, really, Mama. I picked out some fly things for you. Since your face is looking better, you might as well get back on your feet. I know you like to be on top of things. You do want to look good for Santiago and all. Mama smiled. It was funny. Everything else could be fucked up, but mention Santiago and Mommy's whole world would light up. But still, she protested. I can't drive. It's not safe. I don't feel ready yet. Mommy, I can drive. I can take you anywhere you want to go. Treat you like the queen you are. We can leave the kids with Magdalena. How about it? I opened my arms wide to give her a hug. She smiled. I've been dying to get in my new car, but I didn't want to torture myself. Don't worry, Mommy. Just remember, I know how you feel. We've both been trapped in this house too long. But today is our day and we might as well enjoy it. I helped Mama get dressed and ready. We picked out a full wig and tried to hide the left side of her face while letting the hair fall down the front. I lent her my sharp leather hat. We went outside, cut the red ribbon, and both got high off the smell of the fresh leather interior. Pushing a bend was like being the President of the United States. It rode like a private jet. Even the potholes couldn't affect the smoothness of the ride. Everybody I passed on the road looked to see who was inside, yet the tinted window shielded us like we were top-notch celebrities. Mama looked happy discovering more and more features in her car. The wood paneling, her engraved initials, the CD player, digital display, lighted mirrors, and so on. She relaxed. I knew I had accomplished step one, getting Mama used to the idea of me driving her car. I had to get her on my side so we could convince Santiago that I need to drive this car on my birthday. Mommy and I got manicures and even pedicures at the mall. We even let this butch-like Swedish lady give us each a massage. We ended our day with a dinner. Wait till Santiago sees your new outfits, I teased her. He's gonna chase you all around the house. He won't have to run fast to catch me, she teased. Winter? Santiago told me that when I was in the hospital, he had midnight watching you and the girls. I didn't tell him I thought it was a stupid idea. We were already dealing with enough. But I wanted to check with you to see what happened. I know how you feel about midnight. I avoided her eyes. Nothing happened, Mama. Not a damn thing. He was everything Santiago wanted him to be. He walked a straight line. I guess I'm not as good as you, moms. 
I can't get what I want from that man. He doesn't like me. He likes you, she snapped back. He'd be crazy not to like you. You have everything any man could want. Mama had tears in her eyes again. It doesn't matter anyway. Santiago said he doesn't want me with a man like Midnight. Something about it being dangerous and unpredictable. I gotta tell you, I was shocked to hear all that. All of a sudden, he started talking about how I should marry some doctor, lawyer type guy. Not nobody like him. I guess it's because of what happened to you, Mommy. What do you think? If you had to do it again, Mommy, what would you do? Would you have married some engineer or doctor? Mommy cried. Never. Never. I love Santiago more than I love my own life. The hell with other men. Santiago is the only man. He takes care of me. He does everything a man's supposed to do. He has given me everything. If I had to catch a bullet for him, so what? I'd rather they shot me than him. There'd be no sense in living without him. Her words fell on me like huge rocks. I wasn't used to this kind of talk. I was impressed by Mama's loyalty to Santiago, and I hoped one day me and Midnight would share the same kind of love. So you still think Midnight's a good catch for me? Mama sipped her coke through the straw and said, He's gorgeous. He, he's strong. He's a young Santiago. It don't get no better than that. Let me work on Santiago. By the time you're 18, I could see him giving his okay. Hell, it's progress that he taught you about men, period. That means he sees you're becoming a woman. He can't hold on to you forever. I exhaled and rolled my eyes. 18? By that time, I'll be so horny I'll die. We both laughed. You're young. Have fun. It's not like you gotta sit around waiting for midnight. He'll come around. How's he gonna come around when he's in Brooklyn and I'm all the way out here? I'll figure it out. We'll get him up to the house or something. We'll work on it. But you stay out of Brooklyn. Until when? Until Santiago says so. The next day, I strategically dropped bits of information about a party going on at Hofstra University, which is about an hour from our house. If I was going to meet college-educated men, like Santiago suggested, I had to start going to some of these events. By the end of the week, I had buttered Mama up with compliments about her face. Now she was comfortable lending me her car on my birthday and allowing me to go to the party at the university. However, I still had to get permission from Daddy to go out at night, even if it was my birthday. Convincing Santiago was always a hard bridge to cross. He just had a natural suspicion about everything. One slight thing triggering his intuition would cause the whole thing to get shut down. I waited in the kitchen Monday night for him to come home. Santiago, how you feeling? I asked sweetly. I'm okay, baby girl. What you need? Who said I needed something? You're looking and sounding so innocent. You gotta be guilty or something. He was talking in a joking way. I want to show you something, Daddy. Stay right here. I ran to my bedroom and returned with my birthday outfit on a hanger. It was a black satin Chinese dress. I held my Joan and David shoes in the other hand. In case you forgot, Friday is my birthday. Have I ever forgotten you on your birthday? He asked, smiling. Listen, Papa, so what I'm saying is Hofstra University is having a sorority party on my birthday. I want to go. Mommy said I could drive her car and I plan to make friends like you said. The school's in Long Island and who knows, I might even meet some big-headed lawyer guy. I killed him with my smile. So what do you say, Santiago? Who you going with? I'm going with Vanessa. I said to my own surprise. I had instantly conjured her up. She doesn't have a car, so I'll pick her up. I met her at the mall. She lives about a half hour from here in Deer Park. She's going to be a sophomore at Hofstra next year. She's studying to be a psychiatrist and... Okay, alright, don't fast talk me. If your mother said you could use her car, then fine. Be careful. In winter, you are not to go to Brooklyn. Don't bullshit me. Don't give me no excuses. None of that.
Stay out of Brooklyn. Be home at 3 a.m. winter. And if you meet some big-headed lawyer guy, have him come here to the house before. Before what? I asked innocently. Before I have to break his neck for trying something stupid. Thursday night, I tied up the loose ends with Natalie. I played it cool, but I was so excited it was hard to sleep. I turned on my radio, dimmed the light, and let Jodeci help my eyelids close. When I woke up Friday morning, my sisters were all jumping up and down on my bed, smiling in my face, acting like they was having a sugar rush or something. What are you doing in my room, I asked. Happy birthday, the twins yelled. Portia rolled her eyes. We thought you'd never wake up. What's the hurry? Daddy went out, the twins said. So? I yelled at them. So he left the birthday present for you down in the living room, and we're waiting for you to go open it. Sitting up, I laughed. Why are y'all waiting for me to open my present? Because everyone knows you always get the flyest shit, Portia said. Meanwhile, I get a Mickey Mouse watch or Barbie doll or something disgusting like that. My eight-year-old sister was going on 22, always mad that she isn't me and always jocking what I have. We invaded the living room and they held their breath while I opened another long slim box. It contained the matching diamond necklace to the diamond tennis bracelet I got one year ago. My sister sucked her teeth in my sparkling jewels. I was amazed at how clear each individual diamond was. See, that's what I'm talking about, Portia said bitterly. Later that afternoon, I discreetly placed my Gucci overnight bag in the trunk of the bins. By early evening, I was all dressed up in my birthday outfit. My mother looked at my body filling out the black satin dress. Instead of complimenting me, she cried. I thought to myself, damn, all she does lately is cry. But tonight was my night. I pulled out the driveway cautiously, trying to keep my mother's confidence in my driving skills secure. I was sure she was watching through the window. When I was out of sight, I ripped down the road, headed for the highway. Santiago said, no Brooklyn, and I will respect that. Natalie, Slick Kid, and Bullet were going to meet me at the 42nd Street bus terminal in Manhattan. They had no idea I'd be pushing the bins. The best part of my birthday was going to be flashing the ride. I might even tell them that Santiago bought the bins for me for my birthday. On the way down, I pulled into one of those all-service Amico stations. I popped the trunk, grabbed my bag, jetted into the bathroom, and took off the ridiculous satin dress. My real outfit was red leather shorts that wore like a miniskirt. A red leather vest that accentuated my titties and fit tight around my small waistline. That was no use for a blouse. I threw my stockings in the wastebasket. My legs were shapely, big, and beautiful. There was no sense in hiding them. I had no scars or bruises. So what if it was cold? I wasn't walking. I was toasting the red bins. I threw on my diamond necklace and my diamond tennis bracelet. My soft red leather jacket made it all perfect. With a piece of tissue, I wiped the foggy gas station mirror. I could only clean a small area. The mirror was permanently dirty. I drew on my lipstick, checked my hair, and slipped my feet into my red leather Gucci shoes. I was good to go. Tonight was not the night for the big-headed lawyer boys or engineers. Tonight was a night for raw Brooklyn-style fun live niggas. In the trunk, I carefully stretched a black satin dress on top of the case so it wouldn't wrinkle. In the car, I pumped up the radio to stay alert during the long drive. I kept the car windows closed. I would creep up to the corner of 42nd and 8th, slowly lowering my windows, and then I would shout out, Surprise, motherfuckers! Get on in! The scene played over and over in my head. The thought of the jealousy Natalie would feel thrilled me. I knew she would get over it quickly, though. That was my girl. She would be happy to ride shotgun in my whip. On the radio, suddenly Sister Soldier started talking shit, her coarse voice overpowering the music. The number one group of people dying from AIDS is young black women. I popped in the tape to shut her down before she started getting on my damn nerves. I slowed the car to a creeping speed. Natalie, Slick Kid, and Bullet were chilling on the corner. Bullet was looking good. I could see his gold teeth shining. 
That shit got me hot. A mouthful of gold is sexy like a motherfucker. It just adds to the ruggedness, accentuating the attitude. Natalie was right. Bullet had filled out a little something. He had on black baggy jeans and some Chris Jordans. Slick was rocking a Pelly Pell leather jacket, backpack, and jeans. Natalie had on an outfit I saw in Banana Republic the other day. Slick Kid turned around and caught sight of my Benz. He didn't know it was me, but the car was so hot I had his full attention. His eyes popped out and he started checking the vehicle, sweating my rims, stepping up close. Natalie and Bullet followed. When they got close to the glass, I lowered the window and said real sexy like, Y'all waiting for me? Natalie screamed, Oh no you didn't. Oh bitch, no you did not. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I know this ain't your car. Don't even try it. What? Bullet and Slick Kid immediately grabbed the guy on the street who shoots Polaroid pictures and flipped him a 20 spot. They started posing on the hood, leaning against the car. I jumped out and we all posed together. Bullet licked his lips, put his orange around my waist and said, Damn, you look good. He opened his arms and stepped back. Let me look at you. I swam my ass around slowly. Big pretty legs, he said, talking sexually like we were doing it already. He touched my legs with his fingers and smiled and said, No stockings. Nice. I smiled. I'm not walking. It's warm in the car. Get in. We all got in. I checked Natalie's face in the rear view. There it was, that jealous look. Seconds later, just like I said, it was gone. She was whispering to Slick Kid, kissing and messing around. Hold on, Bullet said. Where are we going to the club? Nah, fuck that. Let's go to a quiet spot. I don't want to have to bust nobody's ass tonight for trying to get mine. I'd rather just chill with Winter. Let's shoot to the Marriott on 44th and Broadway. Right before we got there, Slick Kid jumped out the car and picked up some Alizé and Absolute from the liquor store. Slick went to the hotel with Natalie to check in. Me and Bullet sat in the car waiting. I ain't seen you in about a year or so, he said, looking into my eyes. Yeah, that's about right. I was playing shy. Where the hell you been? Handling my business, just like you, nigga. You never said nothing to me when I lived around the way. A nigga likes his life, he said, referring to Santiago. Then why are you here? I asked sharply. Because times change. A nigga grew up. Got a little weight on my own. Don't try and play with me, Winter. You wasn't checking on me either. Whatever. There's no sense in wasting time, I said. Because time I don't have a lot of. You look good to me. I hope I look good to you. I ain't had it in a long time and I'm ready to bring it together. I was looking him dead in his eye, letting him know I was serious. He leaned over and stuck his tongue in my mouth. He had a strong kiss. For a moment, my head was gone. It seemed like I blacked out. I was kissing him with all the passion locked inside of me. It didn't really matter who he was. He was a warm body, a masculine body. He had flavor. He would get to feel all of me tonight because I needed it. Natalie was knocking on the window and trying to see in at the same time. Room 609, y'all. Come on up when you're ready. Glad to see we getting along. She snickered and handed me the key. We're in 610. Natalie headed back into the hotel. We pulled the car to the valet station and headed on up. Bullet poured me a drink of Alizé mixed with Absolute. I sipped on it and felt relaxed. Take off your shirt, I ordered. Let me look at you. He grinned. Oh, that's how you do it, huh? You like to be the boss. He pulled his shirt off. On his shoulder was a tattoo of a gun dispensing a bullet. The heat in me went up a notch. He walked over to turn the lights off. Oh no, I said. I want to see everything. Turn them all on. We ain't got a damn thing to hide. I took off my jacket. I started to unbutton my vest, slipped it off, and stood in front of him with my young 34D standing upright with extended nipples. I didn't have to say shit. He was all over me in an instant. Do what you feel, I said. I stepped into him and began licking his neck. 
He didn't taste salty, and I liked that too. A clean body. I slid out of my shorts. They dropped to the floor. I began to undo his buckle and went for his zipper. When his pants fell to the floor, his big penis stuck out of his boxers. I jumped on him, wrapped my legs around his waist, and removed his shorts with my feet. Everything was physical the way I liked it. Watching his leg muscles go up and down, watching his ass move got me excited. I rode that dick like a professional jockey. All the energy in my body started running wild and high, then moved to the center and released. My body shook, then relaxed. I slid down his body onto the floor. Oh no you don't, not until I get to mine. He mounted me on the floor doggy style and started giving it to me from the back. The chorus of his grunts and my moans turned me out. It was a little freaky thing about me. But the more I turned the nigga on, the more excited he got, the more excited and wild I would become. Two orgasms does the body good. We ended up in the jacuzzi with Marriott bubble bath bubbles foaming up everywhere. We had our drinks, puffed our weed, and was cool with the silence. Then loudmouth Natalie came busting up in the room through the connecting door with Slick Kid. Where are y'all at? Slick Kid laughed. Baby, just follow your nose. Next thing I knew, Slick Kid was in the bathroom where we were with his sharp VL video camera rolling. He was cracking up and filming me in Bullet's cool-out session in the tub. Wait a minute, Natalie yelled. Let me get in it too. You don't mind, Winter, do you? She pulled off her shirt and pants and hopped in the jacuzzi with me and Bullet. Slick was laughing and taping us talking about, Ah, Bullet, you a big willy. Now you got two girls. Bullet positioned himself between me and Nat to pose for the camera. Don't put your hands on my girl, Slick Kid joked and yelled. Natalie loved it. We in the movies, y'all. Want to do any shout outs? Oh, yeah, I said. Liquor talking. I want to give a shout out to Simone, to Zakia, Asia, my girl Toshi, and all the live motherfuckers in Brooklyn. BK to the fullest. I love all my peeps. Stay live, y'all. Slick Kid wanted to get in the movie, so he started filming himself with the camera. Attention, niggas. This is Slick Kid. I just wanted to say the black man is God. Bullet cheered him on and added in his shout outs. We all laughed, drank, and puffed. We played cards, ordered movies and room service, buffalo wings, french fries, and lemonade. We had a good old Brooklyn-style good time. At 2.30 a.m., I told them I had to roll. Bullet wanted me to stay, but I told him I had to take care of some important shit, and I'd pick it up with him later. What about breakfast? Time to make the donuts, Slick Kid yelled. They decided to stay in the room till checkout since they paid for it. By this time, Bullet confirmed that he still lived with his grandmother and he didn't have no ride home. I told him don't worry about it. I'd come pick him up sometime in the benzo, and as long as he kept it real with me, we could do it again. My buzz was wearing off. This is a good thing because I was driving in a light rain at the late night, early morning, organizing my story about the college party. I had never been to one in my life. As far as I knew, Santiago had not either. Still, I rehearsed it, knowing how clever Santiago was. When I pulled into the driveway, Santiago's Lex was not there. I was surprised since I was an hour and a half late and 100% sure he'd be sitting in the kitchen with a mean old screw face ready to kill me. Luckily, I realized that I was still wearing the red leather shorts. Panicked, I swung the car around to the back. I popped the trunk, grabbed my Gucci suitcase, and unzipped it. I pulled out a fresh pair of stockings and picked up the satin dress. I was quiet about closing the trunk so as to not wake mommy. I ran under the shed in the back of the house and started to peel off my little red outfit. My body was covered with goosebumps and shivering from the cold 4.30 a.m. air. When I took off my Gucci shoes, I realized I left my Joan and David's in the car. I clutched my car keys, tweaked the alarm off, and tipped back to the trunk. I stuck the key in and swapped the shoes. By the time I got back under the shed, my feet were covered with mud. I took off my panties to use them as a tissue to clean my feet. When I went to slip into my new stockings, I pushed too hard and my big toe ripped through the bottom. The tear ran all the way up my leg. I took a deep breath to calm me down. People who panic made stupid mistakes, overlook critical things, I reminded myself. 
Okay, so I put on the dress, no stockings, and I'd say that they tore at the party. I started fumbling to put my hair back in place when I heard a noise from the side of the house. It sounded like cracking sticks under somebody's foot. I kicked the mud-covered panties under the bush and stuffed my little red outfit into a nearby garbage can. Come out of there, whoever you are, before I blow your fucking head off. The voice came from the side of the house. It sounded like my mother. I was trembling. Mommy, I called out, is that you? Winter, are you okay? She asked as though somebody had me bound and gagged. I'm fine, Mommy. I was just parking the car back here. She swayed around the corner with her flashlight and the little twenty-two gun Santiago had given her for personal security. The light. Take that light out of my face, Mommy, please, I said, not wanting her to see my panties in the bush. Everything's okay. I went towards her, hugged her, and walked her back around to the front of the house. What happened to the lights in the backyard? I asked. They broke them. They broke everything. Messed up all our stuff. They took the Lex. They took Santiago. They tore up the house. Her words were going into my head in slow motion. My body froze like ice. Anger consumed me. Who took Santiago? The police. They came with papers talking about they charging with this and that and the other thing. They searched through all our belongings. They cut up my damn mattress. They scared the shit out of your sisters. They were screaming and crying. Where'd they take them? Central booking. The regular. They said they don't know where he'll end up. Just call the precinct, they said. He won't be arraigned until Monday since this is the weekend. When did they come? Santiago got back right after you left here. He said he had a feeling that something wasn't right. I'm surprised you didn't see him on your way out. The cops pulled up here about a half hour later. Big Long Island white boy by the book cops. They came from everywhere without warning. Up the driveway, out of the sky, the roof, the backyard. Before I knew it, they were inside the house, outside the house, all in everything like roaches. They arrested everybody, Santiago, our security, everybody except for me and the kids. I didn't know how to get to you, Winter. Eventually, I beat midnight. It was about 10 p.m. I told him what happened and asked him to go out to that school and tell you to come back home. He called me back at about 11.45 p.m. talking about you wasn't there. He had looked all over. My guilty eyes locked into my mother's. Her eyes were bloodshot. Her mouth twisted, her face stained with tears. We needed a strategy to get out of this confusion. What did Santiago say? He was calm and cool. Of course I had his hands cuffed, locked tight in back of his body like he was some kind of a criminal. He looked me dead in my eye. All he said was sorry. Mama was hysterical or delirious or both. I told Santiago not to worry. I would come get him out. Then one of them smart-ass cops, not the one in regular uniform, one of them feds or something, said it would be a long, long, long time before you'll see him anywhere besides behind bars. That's what you think, I told them bastards. That's what you think. The next cop picked up your picture and was like, woo-wee, that's a fine ass. That's when Santiago started breaking. He said he would make it so that cop would never see his own kids again. The other cops started reading Santiago his rights. Mommy, how many cops were there? Inside or outside the house? Both. About 15 cops inside and 20 outside, in the back, everywhere. I sat down on the kitchen stool. Daylight seemed to rush in. I made my mother take one of those sedatives the doctor prescribed for her facial pain. She had fallen asleep along with the kids. At 9 a.m., Magdalena arrived to work. What happened? She asked with her Latino accent. Long story, I muttered. Take your time cleaning this mess. We got to straighten it up, but it's no hurry. She had a look on her face as if she expected to be paid more money to repair the disaster. Don't worry. I'll take care of you at the end of the week, I told her. Money. Money, I thought. Santiago's gone. How will we get money? 
the upstairs safe popped into my head, the one situated behind my mother's clothing closet that I wasn't supposed to know about. I ran up the stairs. I pushed my mother's door open gently, not wanting to disturb her. She was there, sitting on her bed, smoking a cigarette, something I never saw her do. Looking for the safe? she asked. It's gone. It's empty. It's gone. She pointed to the closet where the safe door was open and empty. Them bastards had warrants, papers, a whole bunch of shit. They said they had been watching us for a long time. Other than the money, did they take anything else? Other than the money, she said sarcastically. Okay, other than the $150,000 they stole from our safe for evidence, they said. Huh. Evidence. They probably out shopping with that dough right now. They took the guns. They took plenty of guns. Coke? I asked cautiously. None. Santiago had just come back from his runs. Everything he had was already gone. How much money you got? I was afraid to hear the answer. Seven hundred bucks. That's it, she said dryly. I had $950 myself. That made a total of $1,650, which, based on what we were used to spending, might as well have been $17. Who could we call? My mind went blank. I sat on the floor in her room, my nerves numb neutral. I had no feeling. The ringing of our telephone brought me back to reality. I picked it up. It was my mother's sister, Aunt Lori, on the line. Where's Santiago? she demanded, not having thought of what I would tell people and when to tell them whatever I decided to tell them. I said nothing. Winter, stop playing. Put Santiago on the phone. These motherfuckers came and picked Stevie up out of here this morning. I need Santiago to send somebody over to see what's happening and to bring some money so we can get him out of there. Santiago's not here right now, Aunt Lori. Call back in a little while. Mommy don't feel well, or I'll call you back. I'm sorry about what happened, and I'll give Santiago the message. Winter, these motherfuckers went crazy out here. Arrested everybody. Tell your father somebody got to come help us out around here. By sundown, it was apparent it was a total wipeout. One by one, women's faces filled with fear, rage, and hysteria. Called demanding that Santiago rescue their husbands, brothers, sons. They had all been bagged. I contacted Santiago's lawyer, Bob Goldstein. He was already on the case. He told me that right now there was nothing he could do but wait. He had phoned the precinct and verified Santiago's presence. Now he awaited arraignment and placement. He was seeing what the bell looked like, what all the charges were, and what the evidence was like. He told me to come down to the office on Friday to handle matters and to bring my mother. Magdalena did a hell of a job pulling the house back together again. I slid her a 50 spot for the extra work. It killed me to let go of the cash, but I did it just to keep the peace with her. I'd need her to watch the kids. Magdalena grabbed the money real quick and held on to it real tight. Alright, so first of all, y'all see how Winter was all like, Mommy's getting all the attention. That's some... I'm going to stop harking on it. I promise. I promise. I might. I probably won't. It's, it's the whole book about her you know and she's a kid and she's looking at this and her mom just got shot in the face just got out of surgery is going through a really emotional time and she's like everybody's catering to mommy i need my own attention i can understand that but at the same time like are you serious like this ain't even your house like know your role sit back and play support um so she pulls off this plan that she thinks is slick and i guess it's slick like she she it worked until you know, she goes out, she has a great time, she has sex, um, she's drinking Alizé and, and Absolute, and, and I know when we were kids, my brother and I used to rent uh, hotel rooms, not even hotel rooms, let's be honest, they were motel rooms, they were Motel 6, and we would have parties, we would have what we called kickbacks, you know, and we would get girls over there and, and drink and all this kind of stuff and have what was a good time, you know, so... I ain't faulting her for doing that. We did the same exact thing. Um, 
but the story she came up with would have went through without a hitch, except for the fact that, hey, she got home hella late. She would have gotten home an hour and a half after she was supposed to be there. And if ha if what had happened hadn't happened, Santiago would have been waiting there to, to, to talk with her at the very least. Um, the second thing is it all fell apart. And her mom was like, I called Midnight to come and find you and you weren't fucking there. Which is the second time Midnight's been summoned to pick her up, which should show her that her and Midnight aren't, aren't on the same level as far as what's going on. Um, she was talking to her mom earlier and she's like, you're going to get Midnight. I'm going to make sure that you get Midnight. And it's like, how are you going to pull that off? Her mom, though, when I keep thinking about this, her mom was 14 when Santiago was whatever age he was. So her mom doesn't see an issue either like her mom does not see any problems with midnight and winter because winter is two years older than she was at the point when she got pregnant and had winter so i guess to her winter's mature like i don't know like there's not a lot of life experience in this house and the funny thing is, at the end of the book, when she was talking about, um, or at the end of the chapter, when she was talking about how they came and picked up um, Santiago, and she's describing the uh, arrest and everything, she sounded shocked that they treated him like a criminal. Like, all of these folks, this is really interesting for me to see, because from the inside looking out, I guess, from them living in a life where drugs are the main way of feeding their family drugs is the product and the whole family understands it and they appreciate it and all that kind of stuff like literally her, her aunt Lori is in on it like all these families are in on it they don't see anything wrong with it they just see it as a way to feed their families and keep food on the table and and keep their lights on and it's interesting to hear people talk from the from the from the direction of i'm the drug dealer or I'm the drug dealer's wife or daughter or employee or whatever it may be. Here's why it's not bad. Um, so Winter meets Bullet and Slick Kid. And Natalie is jealous for a while. I mean, is it is that really how it goes down? Or are folks really that petty? Like, I want to pull up so then Natalie would be jealous. That's my whole goal. My birthday gets myself to see how jealous Natalie's going to be. And Portia, damn eight-year-old. Like, you, what? Like an eight-year-old talk like that? Where? Um, But, I mean, this isn't a, this isn't your typical house. Um, The fact that they call their dad Santiago, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. That always just made me just like that raised hairs on the back of my neck because yeah. Um, and Portia, I feel badly for her because she's the middle child. And one of my, one of my friends tells me all the time what life is like when you're a middle child and to be a middle child between winter, which is a force within themselves and then twins at the younger spectrum. There's no room for you. There's nothing. Like, you are getting where you fit in, and that is just, huh, has to be a horrible feeling. Before they got to the end of the chapter, and we found out that the police had came in and hemmed uh, Santiago and all his men up, all his folks up, I thought that, you know, the spot was going to get blown because Winter is not in any way, shape, or form being quiet about the fact that she's hanging out where she's not supposed to be hanging out at getting the pictures taken getting the video done oh man getting the video and the jacuzzi and 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 with with bullet and, and and natalie and just wilding out and smoking weed and drinking alcohol and all that kind of stuff like that's not what your dad wants you to do like what part of low-key don't you understand i mean other than all of it like i know keep saying this is a kid but this is a kid Absolutely. Um, but yeah, they took the money. They took everything. I mean, and then Magdalena comes after they done. I've seen raids happen on TV shows. And what they do is they flip everything. They break everything. They take everything. They they, they destroy stuff. And 
Then Magdalena comes and she's looking around like, what happened? And you're like, I'm going to give you a little extra money at the end of the week. She's looking around and she knows what happened. This ain't Magdalena's first time on the block. I'm almost certain of it. She's she's done house cleaning for other, you know, drug empires before. The way she was looking around, the way she was clutching that 50 when she broke her off for the extra 50 for cleaning all that trash. So now it's just Winter and her mom and, and the kids and... and Winter has $950, and her mom has, what, $700? And that ain't enough for them. Like, they got a lifestyle that is just like, oh, my God. And it makes you think, like, their lifestyle was all it is, but you never saw, like, like what type of... I don't know. I figure somebody was snitching. Somebody had to have been snitching or somebody went undercover or something like that because they had everything and they knew every aspect. They knew where the safes were. They knew where everything was. They looked, they locked up everybody. Somebody told. Somebody cut a deal. I hope they find out who, not that, I mean, what the fuck's Winter going to do about it, but I hope they find out who did it just so then we know who did it. But yep, um, everybody's gone. Everybody in the drug game is gone. And now it's just Winter and her mom and $1,650. Good luck. <laughs> so that was chapter five. Uh, we'll go ahead and get to chapter six. Um, I'll have it out for y'all soon. I want to thank y'all again for listening. If you want to leave a voicemail, go ahead and call 916-633-1537. Uh, you can also leave an email at wretched and ratchet at gmail.com i want to thank y'all for the reviews you've been leaving it means a lot to us and it really does get our uh, name out there for more people to find um check us out on twitter at ratchet book club uh, you can talk to us there we'll talk back um and yeah that's about it i hope y'all have a wonderful day y'all be good peace and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.